American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. So now I'm obsessed with time. Come on, tell me about the time. Had it all in my head tonight. Had the time of my life when the words all come down like blues on Tuesdays come down. Welcome to another episode of American, American Timelines. Timelines. I'm Amy, and that's Joe. And we are back in 1950, and we have another guest this week. We're so excited. We have a Canadian guest this week. Yes. Another, our second. second I, can't believe we've, I can't believe we've had two Canadians. I think we've almost had more Canadians than we have, I mean, more non-Americans than we have had Americans, Americans right? Yeah. we had those two guys, three, four, yeah. four non-Americans. How many guests have we had? I don't know. I can't count. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we're excited to welcome... Right from the start, I will just we'll just bring her in and let her start talking. Please welcome Brenda Gansky from Horrifying History Podcast. Hello, everybody. <laughs> How are you? Yes. Good. How are you? It's welcome. so good to have you. Good. Cold. Yeah. It's cold up here today. What's the temperature? Just saying. It'll be Celsius. Um, so. Oh, uh, tell us in Fahrenheit well, if you can figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to do some math behind that, but it's not freezing. Yes. It's enough that you should wear a coat. Okay. Um, and uh, definitely put on a scarf. We'll put it that You've way. got snow on the ground up there? Yes. Okay. Oh. I say that with disgust. Yes. What part of Canada are you in? Um, I'm actually living in Ottawa, Canada, which is in Ontario. Okay. Okay. And which is the capital of Canada. Um, oh, that is the uh, location of our federal government. Okay. And uh, it's an absolutely breathtaking area full of history and a lot of it's very dark, which is right Ooh, up my alley. Yes. Ooh, that's, that's, that's what's up my cool. alley, too. And that's what's great about that. Yeah, it's <laughs> like the dark, horrifying history. And it, But you don't, it's not just Canada that you cover, right? You no. You cover everything, um, but a lot of it is. Yeah, what we do is, um, we. I love to say that horrifying history is the place where history, the supernatural, lore, and science collides. And what we do is, you guys are aware, we release four episodes a month. And this is where we tell tales about the people, places, and things, and events throughout history, throughout the world, that have a bit of a darker side. Mm -hmm. um, we don't just tell the story, though. We actually look at all sides. So what does the documentation tell us? What do sources show? Can science explain what actually happened? And we also dive into the folklore to help everybody who's listening discover where the truth actually lies cool. so we do cover everywhere and anywhere in the world that has something dark to say yes. nice yes. Uh, now can you can you think of um we were just before we recorded talking about spontaneous human combustion which was a recent episode that i really enjoyed oh that's fascinating and it's a fascinating topic <laughs> can, and can you think of any other examples that where the outcome you believe tends toward the paranormal. Well, it's actually interesting that you're saying that because the idea of, of spontaneous human combustion, ever since I heard about it, now, just a little backstory for y'all. My, my grandmother always would read her newspapers, which was the National Star, the World mm -hmm. News. Yes. Oh, I, so that's what I grew up reading, an actual newspaper and then grandma's mm -hmm. newspapers. <laughs> so then you'd see all these stories in black and white print mm -hmm. of like, you'd see a femur. Yeah. And it's like, right. And I'm, I'd see these and I'm like, how is it just 
possible a person could blow up into flames. Oh. And actually, then when, when I started researching for the episode, it actually freaked me out a little because I thought, nope, this is a line of crap. Yeah. yeah. Nope. Nope. No. Yeah. To find out, actually, the science behind it, it is completely possible. Wow. Now, the next example, actually, it's funny because it came out today. My next episode after that one, it was called um, Elizabeth Bathory, Vampire, Serial Killer or Victim. Yes. And, and that actually came up because of a um, listener actually reached out. And she grew up in the area where Elizabeth Bathory was from. Oh, like, wow. That's where her family emigrated over oh. from. And she was telling me some stories about what she heard could be part of the problem of why Elizabeth Bathory developed into the way she did. And it was really intriguing because I didn't hear that side before. So I started looking into it. Mm -hmm. And you know what I discovered, guys? Mm. She is a vampire. She's a cannibal. She's a serial killer. And yes, she is a victim. Whoa. She's all of it. Wow. wow. It can be both. All three. All She's of all the of above. It. Yeah. She's all of the above. So I was really surprised to find out what the listener told me mm -hmm. after we dove into all the folklore, the documentation, the history, and of both the Times and Elizabeth herself, that in actuality, it is true. What this lady was telling me, which I don't want to reveal right. because you have to listen to you the listen episode. Listen to the horrifying it history. It was true. Yeah. It, it was true. And yes, she was as much of a victim as she was a serial killer and a vampire and a, and a cannibal. Oh, yes. I can't yes. wait to listen. Yeah. So please listen to Horrifying History and then, of course, rate and review and subscribe um, because it's really fascinating. It's really cool. We connected, Brenda, I believe we connected on Podcorn. Is that right? Is that where we yep. met each other? Yes, we did. Um, which is a great website, and I'd love to give them credit. Um, I, they should pay me. Yeah, uh, really. But, but, uh, <laughs> but it's really neat. I keep meeting the, all these people that I would have never known otherwise and you meet there's all these independent podcasts that are really great that don't always you might not find otherwise yeah. um and so uh it's really exciting and i'm just so excited to have her on here that our listeners can then listen and then we just we just share each other's listeners it's just kind of cool and fun uh, but please listen <laughs> because you can't stop listening like i find myself yeah not binge. getting the research done for my podcast, because I'm busy listening to hers. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, please listen, everybody. And Brenda, thank you for being here. This is really cool, because I know you're very busy, and it's hard to, you know, you got stuff to put out in a schedule. So you, I'm so glad you took an afternoon out to kind of have fun with us on American Timelines. Well, I love having fun on a Sunday because we're recording on a yes. Sunday. Yes. And I, I, I also love your show. It's very unique. And um, that's why I was more than happy to jump on board. I love the fact that you go and you're doing a timeline, literally a doing a timeline. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but the thing is, was it, it is challenging to find the spooky into a oh. timeline, but I was able to do yeah, it. Yeah. So, so that's Good. what we're going to do. So Brenda has told me a little bit, just a little bit, but she's told me enough that hers doesn't happen necessarily on a specific date, but in the month of September. So we're going to just have Brenda just start off our show yeah. this week. And then when Brenda's done, I'll just jump back into the se September 1st and go from there. So Brenda, take it away. Tell us what you got. Well, the funny thing is, as what we did discuss earlier, is we were hoping that I could bring something in that was more Canadiana. The problem is, mm -hmm. and I was talking to my mom, as I do every Sunday morning, <laughs> I says, I tried really hard. Mm -hmm. The only thing that happened in Canada that was really interesting of note of that time that there was a forest fire and uh, in western canada the skies were dark it was like dusk and it looked like midnight at oh don't say like, too much about it because that's my story which we already thing, talked about a little bit back in june but go but, ahead yeah but here's the problem you know like but where where i'm from where i grow up yeah. 
that's like a normal day in the summer. Oh, really? <laughs> like there's in, in Alberta, because of the airflow, how it happens coming from BC up, up north and through the States, we, and there, there's the Rocky mountains, we get everyone smoke. So like last year, I actually moved from Alberta and that's what it was. I have pictures. It looks like dusk and it's July. Oh my So you gosh. go into your car to go to get groceries, for example, and you're wiping your windshields because it's all ash. Wow. wow. So, so I'm like, well, that's just like another summer day for us. So I'm going to find something good. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of. So, yeah, that that fascinated me. Just that you said that 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 was normal. I do remember normal for one me. time, and I'll probably talk about it when you talk about your dark day because one time we we have a my family used to have a cabin in uh, northern Michigan. Um, uh, I don't know, kind of way up high by the like thumb, and yeah. and one day on a set it was like that. One day it was like noon, and it just got dark. It was like it was midnight, mm-hmm. and it was unbelievable. We, I don't think was I, it an eclipse? Perhaps? No, no, it, I don't know what it was. Now that I think about it, I don't remember. I was a kid, so I don't it could remember. have been an eclipse. Time. Eclipse could have been an eclipse. I don't think so. It was all day. It was like a storm oh, it was? or something. Yeah. Oh, it, was it like wasn't a, just a minute. You know what? I don't remember. I I would have known about an eclipse. Like everybody knows about that, right? Yeah, I think. I can't remember what it was. I'll have to ask. Maybe it was a family. dream you had. No, I know it was real. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I don't. May I know I I drink too many beers. I, today I'm drinking a Dogfish Head. American Beauty Hazy Ripple IPA. Who they're not paying me to say this. I don't know why I'm telling everyone. Is it good? It's all right. Okay. All right. It's all right. Back, on. To, back see, to Brenda. See, so see now you're not going to be promoting their beer because you're like, eh, it's oh, if they, yeah. If they give me fifty bucks, I will tell everyone I love it. It's the best yeah. beer I've ever had in my entire <laughs> yeah, life. It's pretty good. You know, it's one of those ones that grow on you. The more you drink, I got another one that I'll open up. All right. Later. All right. Well, I have a question for you too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you guys ever hear of the time where U.S. soldiers pretended to be vampires and ghosts to scare their enemies? No. No. I have never heard of that. Well, so psychological operations have been used by many different military or militia forces throughout the centuries. Okay. This this is actually used to convey select information and key indicators to either a person or group of people, and that will result in influencing either their emotions, reasoning, and ultimately their behavior. Okay. So this is actually considered to be, I'm sorry to say this at this time, but a very important part of the political arena. Yes. And it actually is used in both times of peace and in conflict. Huh. So before I tell you guys actually what happened, I think I need to give you a little bit a framework behind okay. it. Mm-hmm. So there's three different types of psychological operations in considered in, in a military or a uh, political arena. Mm-hmm. There is strategic, there's operational and tactical. So strategic includes information based um, activities that's conducted outside of a military arena that uses the department or defense assets. So say, for example, a good example of this is like the Jason Bourne. Yes. Right. Yeah. He is he is using a governmental assets when he was their asset, okay. but then working, doing work that they disavow. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Then there's operational. Operational is conducted across a range of military operations, whether it's wartime or not. So that could be as simple as going and sending somebody in to pull out information. Oh, okay. Right. Then you have um well, actually, it, it takes a bit. Uh, mostly takes place more in a defined operational area, I guess I should say, and promotes the effectiveness of a campaign or strategy. But then there's the last one, which is tactical. Mm-hmm. So tactical psychological operations are conducted in an area assigned to a tactical commander mm-hmm. across a range of military operations to support a tactical mission against opposing forces. Mm-hmm. So this type of operation specifically is used to encourage popular dissent within uh, uh, opposition's leadership and combines 
with a persuasion of a credible threat, and it can degrade your uh, adversary's ability to conduct or sustain a military operation or disrupt their decision-making process. So a lot of people, when thinking of this, Mm -hmm. just to give you an example, they may think of like, you know, when they drop uh, propaganda leaflets and posters to demoralize the enemy or to convince a local population to avoid an area. Mm -hmm. But in our story today, oh, this is taken on a whole new level. Okay. So yeah, because so this brings yeah, we were totally talking a little bit about that whole thing, the whole propaganda bit in Korea. The Korean War started. It was during this time. I think last episode. Yeah. They started yeah. kind of. They had a, actually an American, former American, that was kind of the the woman putting out a lot of the propaganda. Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, interesting. Right, I can't wait to hear what it was. Well, I'll just let you well, say. Yeah, you tell us. Well, this brings us over to a man named Major General Edward Lansdale. Hmm. So Edward. He was born in February, uh, February 6, 1908, okay. and he was a United States Air Force officer before he retired in 1963 because he went to leave to go to work for the CIA. Oh. Now, he is considered to be a pioneer in clandestine operations and psychological warfare. Huh. Well, why is because of what he was involved with in September of 1950 mm-hmm. in the Philippines. Oh, the Philippines. So, okay. In the Philippines. So here's a bit of background about it first. Okay. So Edward actually served with the Office of Strategic Services during World War II, and that resulted with uh, with him getting promoted to the rank of major. Mm -hmm. It was here that Edward's tour was extended, and he remained in the Philippines until 1948, helping the Philippine Army rebuild its intelligence services and resolve the cases concerning their very large numbers of prisoners of war. Now, since most of his prior Army intelligence officer experience, um, he brought over to the Air Force, or brought to Air Force units. He decided to transfer or transfer over from the Army to the Air Force in 1947, okay. when that actually in the U.S. became an independent service on its own. Okay. Gotcha. So okay. after. So after he left the Philippines in 1948, he served as an instructor at the Strategic Intelligence School at Lowerly Air Force Base in Colorado, and it was there he was promoted to lieutenant colonel in 1949, which brings us to 1950. So in 1950, the president of the Philippines personally asked Edward to be transferred to the Joint U.S. Military Assistance Group. Um, This was a group in the Philippines that was assisting their armed forces in combating the communist rebels in the area. And this is what led to what was called the Vampire Mission. Ooh, Vampire Mission. The Vampire Mission. (laughs) So in September of 1950, Edward was sent by the U.S. government to the Philippines to help dislodge the rebels in the area that were known as the Hucks by using psychological warfare. Mm. This is because, well, Edward used to be in the Philippines and he was well aware of their superstitions. Okay. So, So after he arrived, Edward and those people under his command, first thing they did was start to study local legend. So when they did, Edward decided to come up with a little bit of a test just to test what what the locals would do. Mm -hmm. The goal was to convince the locals that they would be cursed if they supported the communists. And it actually worked. And it helped. So uh, it it did. And it helped to force the surrender of some of the Hawk units. So when this happened, Edward knew he was totally onto something. Yes. Yes. This is when he started researching a local vampire legend of the the Aswang. So what are the Aswang? It's actually an umbrella term, and it's used for various different shape-shifting evil spirits of Filipino folklore. This includes vampires, ghouls, witches, soul suckers, and weirbeasts. Oh, what's the last thing you said? A weirbee? A weirbeast. Like a werewolf. So like a werewolf. werewolf. You know, yeah, yeah, like true blood. You know, we're panthers and we're tigers and all that stuff. Okay, gotcha. So. 
These creatures are actually considered to be the most feared of all mythological creatures in this culture, and they have no other goal except to cause people harm. Yeah. They're considered to be the complete opposite of any traditional Filipino value. It is said that these creatures come out at night, and they mostly reside in places like graveyards and in woods. Talk about vampires They're at this point, right? All of those things. Well, they, all of those things? All, all, of, all of them. All of them. Okay. All of them. Okay. So they're considered to be wild, but they have the ability to adapt and live within rural and urban environments while still being feral. Ooh. They are thought to be fearful of light, they hate loud noises, and they will kill absolutely anybody, including their own loved ones. Oh. So there are several ways that people think you can kill or drive away an asswang. So this depends actually on each every, um, various cultural and symbolic symbol of each tool. Okay. And it does result in the creature dying in a different way. Uh. It also is very dependent on local area and local lore. Okay. So in so as a summation here, this monster is a nightmare to most. But for Edward, oh, this was the monster he was dreaming oh, of. Yes. He was just, he's like, this is what I need. Yes. Yeah. So, so Edward and his men started spreading rumors in a nearby village that the Aswang lived in the hills nearby, and they started adding as much fuel to the fire as they possibly could, and then they just sat back and waited for that rumor to embed itself into the area. Oh, and wow. as soon as it did, Edward then ordered a covert team to sneak into the hills and hide to wait for a Huck patrol. When the patrol passed, they grabbed the last guy that was in the line, and they dragged him into the bush, and they put two holes into his neck and drained him of blood. <sighs> Then they threw the body back on the original trail and they left. Oh my god. When the, so, when the oh my god. gets better. Oh my god. When the body was found by the Hucks, they were positive that the rumors of the Aswang was true. Yes. And they fled. And you would. Nobody yeah. in their right mind would you wouldn't think anybody would do that. Right. <laughs> Right. That's so this works. allowed the Philippine forces to completely take over the region. So by killing one guy, they took over. Holy cow. Now here's the interesting about this. This isn't the only time that U.S. soldiers use, use superstition for their advantage. Actually, they did this in Vietnam with a different result. Really? Yeah. So in Vietnam, American soldiers tried that same sort of trick yeah. by capitalizing on the belief that the souls of the dead that yes. were not buried we cover this. had to we, wander. We talked about the, right. this. The ghosts. Or, they yeah. had. Let her yeah. They had, they're called a lost spirit. Yes. So this, what they did is made a series of ghost tapes mm -hmm. and they called it the wandering soul. So these tapes started, they're actually online. You can listen to them. Oh, yes. my God, so, really? Remember we I didn't know that they were online. Yeah, I think we yeah. did this. Yeah. yeah. Well. They're on. Yeah. You, you, what they do, if you listen to them, they start with a Buddhist um, funeral music, and then they're followed by a little girl's voice crying for her oh, dad. Oh, so creepy. So what would you search and then, if you wanted to listen to that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Then, it, then the wandering ghost comes on the tape, wandering and ghost. The, the ghost responds by crying with regret that he chose to die on a battlefield far away than stay with his family. So he's talking about his regret. Yeah. Oh my God. So what happened is all these soldiers, they had speakers in their bad packs and they had it on, they retrofitted ships oh, and aircrafts man. with yeah. it and they would play the messages at different times. But the results didn't work like it did in the Philippines. Like, you know, stab dude in the neck, bleed him out, yeah. and make it think it's a vampire. Yeah. What happened is when uh, the, um, in Vietnam, when they heard this, mm -hmm. they actually became under increased fire. But then Americans, they were smart. They'd use this for their advantage too. So one day, a commander of a plane went out, played the tape. He went under underwent huge fire. And he said, I'm never playing those tapes again. But of course, they're like, no, you're totally going to do it next tomorrow night. Yeah. 
But when they went out, they actually gave him a, a, a AC-130 to support him. Yeah. That plane's job was to target anything who shot one round at him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And as soon as they did, it, it did another version of a uh, a terror, I guess, is the way to look at it, is because they're like, okay, you hear the tape, you know it's coming, you better go hide. Yeah. So they actually switched the ideology, but it didn't work as well as it did in, in the Philippines by killing one single guy. Yeah. Right. So... Did the opposition actually believe there was wandering spirits? I can't say. But what I can say about this whole thing is the moral of the story is bringing one person's fear up against them is actually a brilliant way to win a war, even though it brings up the ethics of debate uh, for ethics in war. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That uh, it really does. But I mean, w just with one person's death, you probably saved so many lives. How many hundreds? Yeah. Right. Hundreds. I've always thought ethics and war was a weird oxymoron thing. I know there's rules. Well, you have to have rules of war. I know you do. And mm -hmm. we've talked about this before, but it seems to me like the person who wins always just doesn't follow those. Like, how are you going to trust? The, it's life or death. Like, some people don't. It's interesting. Don't yeah. It is. Yeah, my husband, he's actually, he just retired from the Canadian military where he spent pretty well his entire career. He got in, believe it or not, when he was 16. And wow. it's funny because as he progressed up through the ranks, that's something specifically that must be studied. It's part of you keeping your job and yeah. going, raising in the ranks is, is yeah. ethics behind war. Yeah. And the reality is there still is ethics. But it's just, again, do some people... Imagine, for example, you're suffering from severe T PTSD. You think your life's in jeopardy. Are you necessarily going to follow? Right. It? Or and then you have on top of yeah. it that just because, and we'll use the term, allied folks are are following it. It doesn't mean that other people or other insurgents are not are following it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like there's a yeah. there's a uh, the Jigib, uh, the J Geneva the, the thank you convention. <laughs> yeah. Do they follow it? Mm, right. 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 No. That's it. Yeah. No, they don't. And there's a lot of places in the world that they don't. But I think um, just my own ethics behind it is that's their choice. Yeah. And I think that it's our choice to follow it or not. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. right. right. But but in the same breath, if I could save thousands of people by, by draining one guy of blood. Right. I'd do yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, and your help, you're even, like you said, you're saving the other person's Millions. soldiers. other country soldiers too because less of them are dying right. just because they're scared yeah you're making them retreat yeah i think that's genius mm -hmm. and it's really yeah, cool i think and that's why yeah. he's the father of psychological warfare yeah that's that really awesome cool. that's yes. really cool and and i think i love the angle of just you know without him knowing those people and knowing that that's a thing it wouldn't have been you can't just make up a ghost anywhere and just do that but if it's if they already have that you folklore have to study the culture yeah yeah and it, that's a mm -hmm. big advantage to anything probably mm -hmm. um and yeah and also i'm not surprised yeah. at all the cia phoned and like hey we got a job for you come over here yeah yeah, yeah. no kidding it's brilliant a, it was brilliant yeah what a cool story that was that's brilliant yes awesome thank you yes thanks brenda from horrifying history everybody Listen and subscribe, but we're going to jump right into the timeline. Amy's towards the end of the month, so I got a lot to cover. Uh, so we'll just strap in and Brenda, jump in wherever you whatever wherever you feel. Okay, we're at September first, nineteen fifty. Was a Friday. The FCC released a statement that it favored the CBS technology for color television broadcasting, uh, as opposed to the other two proposed systems by RCA and Color Television Incorporated. They felt that those fell short of the FCC requirements and recommended the television set manufacturers should build sets that could receive both the CBS system and the standard black and white analog signals. 
Television manufacturers declined to make sets that accommodated the CBS system, though, and they eventually, eventually a different system by RCA would become the industry standard. <coughs> so basically, uh, what you're saying is they they got color TVs. Well, they you know they were making color TVs, but it, it I guess I kept it in here because it reminded me of now that we've gone to H, HD. Yeah. Remember there was all and like like when videotape came out, everybody was like mm-hmm. VHS or beta, which is gonna win, and VHS won and beta went away. Right. Uh, so with this technology, which I don't propose to understand, I have no idea how they yeah how color TV works. I don't get it. I used to. We had a black and white TV when I was little. Oh yeah, we did too. Like uh, to me, that's mm-hmm. crazy that that in your lifetime in my lifetime, yeah. yeah, we had we had a couple black and white TVs, and it's weird because it it didn't. It doesn't. It's not that bad. I mean, you're not. Mi- yeah. you're, not you're not really missing much. Well, I, I guess think until you now, know. if you had to oh, watch now, black and white yeah, TV, right. oh for sure. Yeah, my kids yeah. will be able to do it. Uh, no way. But there's still movies that are in black and white and stuff. But, um, I you know I even just the size of them. Like yeah. think about oh. how oh big God. those black and whites and the weight. Oh yeah. And now you weight. can just take a, like a flat screen and just carry it up your stairs. Yeah, I can just carry yourself. it with yeah. my, under my arm. Yeah. And it was Throw either that car. or you had, I remember we had one that was probably nine inches in diameter and yeah. it was a black and white TV and it, I was like on my nightstand. Yeah. I just t- well, that's amazing <laughs> that you had a, a little one like that. Yeah, that we small. did. It was like a radio TV mixed. When I was like, little, I thought because we had color, but everything that was in black and white was older stuff. Like, right. I always, I thought that the world was black and white. When my mom was little, like I thought, Jeez. was there there wasn't color yeah. in, in the world? Like everything didn't have like all your clothes were <laughs> black and gray white. and white. You know, like I didn't get it for a while. I think I, I think I was real little. You were, yeah. I was fourteen. <laughs> and hopefully, I knew that. But anyway, I guess the idea was that there were different systems, and they had to kind of compete and figure out. RCA ended up coming up with the industry standard, okay. which I think RCA just went out of business, which is crazy. But just to think about that world where you're talking about what the standard of mm-hmm. you know, everything is. Um, and then here's a story that same day on September 1st. John Crabb was a 59-year-old immigrant from Denmark. Mm-hmm. Okay, that day mm-hmm. he was, in 1950, he was freed from the Topeka State Mental Hospital where he had been mm-hmm. held since 1930 mm-hmm. after being mistakenly adjudged insane. Oh, no. So, oh. So for 20 years, this guy oh. who's not in insane ward. was in a mental institution. In the, the 40s. In the, in the, in the, yeah, in the, yeah, 30s and 40s. 30s and 40s. Throughout the 30s and Jeez. 40s. And Can you imagine a mental institution so, in the so 30s and 40s? He was 39 when he went in, and he got out when he was 59. His confinement oh was blamed on his inability to clearly speak English combined with his bad temper. Oh no! And he was so. Was he? What did he immigrate in, or was his first yes. language another language? Yeah, he, yes. Oh, I see. Yes, from Denmark. Wow. So he was Dutch. So he he initially uh, he was finally freed by the efforts of several insurance executives who spoke the Danish language and had and and then they returned him to Denmark. But so he had been a he was a dishwasher at a local diner. He was a farmer mm-hmm. back in Denmark. He came here to the American dream, whatever it was. He was a local diner in Kansas, and he threatened. A coworker who was hitting on his girlfriend. Oh, apparently mm. he said some really blood curdling things, according to the Sunday Sun, on the Guardian, which was a, a paper uh, on Tro- Trove is the website I got this from. They took him to jail based on these threats, 
And then when he went to, got to jail, he refused to eat, and he soon ended up at the state mental hospital. So he kind of was just like rebelling. Yeah. And he was an, he was a mm-hmm. hothead. He did have a temper, but um, once he got out, though, he kind of had no hard feelings. Like there, like there's a really? article where he just kind of laughed about it. It's like, yeah, we all regret you it. Know. Ha ha ha. And they went back to Denmark. But be, this whole thing uh, that happened brought to the brought to light the state of affairs in this Topeka mental hospital which resulted in other sane men being freed also. Oh, um, my God, you're kidding. Wow. Yeah, officer doctor, the medical officer, Dr. Paul Tusing, he said the records showed that the place had been a snake pit. When when Crabb was admitted, the hospital had five doctors for 1,800 patients. Oh, my God. Whoa. He was afraid the patients who gave trouble were put in restraints or submitted to rocking chair therapy. More than 70 patients at a time were in the rocking room, and they just rocked all day, and and sometimes half the night. Like They just like tied him to these rocking chairs, I guess. The doctor explained that Crab was at first diagnosed as a violent schizophrenic. Sure, he he was violent, because he was afraid of other patients. He would try to defend himself. Yeah. 1,800 patients, then they would put him in the violent ward, and then he'd have to battle all those people. Yeah. So nobody ever tried to find out what was really the matter with him. Well, and anybody would but be how violent. Did he, how did he walk out of there being sane? Like, if you're surrounded yeah. with insanity yeah. for 20 years, how do you actually keep your mental facilities and get out of there sane is question number one. And oh, number yeah. two, tying pe- physicality-wise, you tie an... Indi- I work in health oh, yeah. Can you tell yeah. 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 Uh, You tie a person down to a chair and you rock them for 12 hours. How did they not get bed sores, infections? Yeah. The, 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 I bet they the did. The sanitation was... Yeah. Oh, I'm sure they How did. How did they, he not die from that? Yeah. Well, we both have worked in with people with developmental disabilities. I've worked in a lot of group homes. And just looking at the history of, of that, you know, I learned Like a lot the of them come of, from, all oh, the older guys yeah, come from that's, institutions. I looked at their history. Like they were institutionalized when you would just lock a bunch of guys in a room. And you yeah. don't care what mm-hmm. happens to them. Like crazy guy, guy with Down syndrome, autistic guy, throw them all in a room. They didn't know what autism was. And just... Right. Whatever happens, they fight for food. We had guys that, you know, they would ball up their food in their cheeks because they were used to having to do that to get your food. You had to put all mm-hmm. your food in your mouth immediately or you wouldn't get it. Oh, my God. So I just crazy things like yeah. that. But so the way wow. they found him is that his family for 20 years in in uh, Deutsch. De- De- Denmark. Denmark. I want to say Deutschland. <laughs> in Denmark. We're trying, we're trying, where they were appealing, appealing, and trying to, and just think of the technology then, like had to write letters and all that. Um, Mm -hmm. And they said that all you need is one person to sign a complaint and two doctors who don't even have to see the patient to sign the papers to put somebody committed Mm -hmm. for life back then. Oh my God, you're kidding. Yeah. I bet there were millions of people that were institutionalized that weren't crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, so they finally got through it and and got that. But I think they, it, it helped that instant help free other people at least but it's just it's just appalling especially in america i don't know what it's like in canada but the history of mental health services Mm. awful are just tragic and sad Mm -hmm. and i mean even even the way it is now is not good enough right it's better it's not and uh, but have you ever heard of mk ultra yes that's i haven't that actually oh no MK Ultra. A lot of the tests that came in for the mental piece actually took place in Canada in a uh, an institution in Montreal. Oh, really? Wow, really? 
And a lot of the people they targeted specifically were female and they were more vulnerable. For example, who just gave childbirth and their emotions were high. And that was one reason that they actually commonly admitted females was because they were too emotional. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. It's crazy. I don't know how a woman. They called it hysteria. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I just think about just birth, just Mm. giving birth. (laughs) I don't know how. We don't need to get graphic. That's how any human can do that and not go insane. <laughs> right. The pain, yeah. it just doesn't, it blows my mind. I mean, I'm a man. But if you're too emotional. Yeah, right. Off you go. That's yeah, right. Right. That's how yep. it was. Yeah, that's exactly. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so sad and terrible. And that's also the same day that Phil McGraw, the American TV personality, was born. Who is that even? Dr. Phil. Oh, Dr. Phil. <laughs> I knew that one. Because yeah, you, know. you know what? Yeah, I share a birth month with Doctor Phil. Oh, so you, you're not on you're not on my date yet. Oh, so okay, oh, so that same month you were born in September. So we'll we, we'll we'll see if we'll get to it. Hopefully, it's not a day I skip. Um, so I'm going to jump to September fourth, nineteen fifty, which is a Monday. The, are you familiar with the comic strip Beetle Bailey? Yes. Mm-hmm. That this was the first day it appeared. It was created by Mort Walker, and it's made its debut in twelve newspapers. And in the first strip, Beetle began his first day as a student at Rockview University. He wasn't in the army. Oh, really? Really? And he arrived with only a toothbrush. Oh. Uh, <laughs> but by March 12, 1951, he would go to, to a U.S. Army recruiting station, beginning a new career, and that's when the strip would soar in popularity. Nice. Hmm. So for curiosity's sake, I had to look up the first Beetle Bailey. Yeah. Because I loved comic strips mm-hmm. when I was a kid. I loved... Beetle Bailey, I, he was my favorite. And a little trivia, I don't know if you know or if you care, yeah. but his sister is High from High and Lois. And oh. so there's, a couple, oh, there's really? a couple crossover episodes. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so sometimes that. Beetle would be there for Thanksgiving. And I was like, oh, eh, to me as a kid, oh, my God. Eh, you know, <laughs> yeah. It just blows your mind. Um, hmm. Anyway, the, the, the punchline of that strip on the first strip was Beetle Bailey and another college kid are talking at the at college diner. It's like it. It looks like it's in um, Happy Days or something. And the other kid says, hey, I, I'm a freshman here. And Beetle's like lazy. He's got his, you know, he can't see his eyes. And the guy says, hey, I'm I'm uh, majoring in science with an emphasis on chemistry. And Beetle says, I'm majoring in relaxation with an emphasis on sleep. And that's the. Sounds that's like the most college people yes. I know. Yeah. That's right. But that's the punchline of <laughs> yeah. the comic. Go uh, wholesome yeah, 50s the whole, punchline. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's funny. It's worth a little chuckle. Yeah, you sure. know? And that's the funny papers. I really miss those. I don't think they exist anymore. Do they? Yeah, I, I, Maybe they do. I remember, you know, like reading Snoopy and stuff. And yeah. so mm-hmm. I kind of miss those too. I I always I miss playing um, with silly putty on the funny papers. Yeah. Making, you could copy oh, it. Oh, I love that. Copy it onto Smash the it on yeah. there. I mean, yeah, th- yeah, those were great. They were great, and you, but I, I would say I think you, you think you miss it. But if I, if I went and got you a funny paper and some silly putty, I, would I think like, that would occupy mm, you for maybe a minute. You're right. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> then you, I'd use it for a day. Yeah. Oh, and then a I'd day. put it in a container yeah. and then like throw it away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> get, yeah. yeah I mean, we should get it for the kids. Dazzle them. They would be dazzled. Would they be dazzled? Because they've already had. You know, <laughs> yeah. they've had silly. You know, Lego or. Uh, Everything. What's the what's the silly putty? The Play-Doh, Play-Doh you know, a million. Yeah. They've had the guy's hair. Anyway, let's keep going. Yeah, but that's not the same. Not the no, same. No, it's not. That's, it's definitely not the same. You can print your cartoons on yeah. it. Yeah. It's brilliant stuff. I do remember being amazed at that and thinking, yeah. I can do yeah. anything. I know, I can copy right? anything. And then, uh, okay, now I'll move on and not do right. that anymore. 
Um, then you learned about photocopiers. You moved on. Yes, That's right. exactly yeah. right. Yeah. So then Tuesday, September 5th, 1950, uh, Al Killian was a 33-year-old American jazz trumpet player mm-hmm. who was shot to death by his landlord in, oh. a, in a case of mistaken identity. Sadly, I couldn't find what? anything. I scoured the internet for this. I was like, this would be a great story. I was going to give it yeah. to you for your murder. You couldn't find anything? I couldn't find anything about it, except it was just mistaken identity. That's all I could find. But he was a great jazz... All I could find about him was what a great jazz yeah. musician he was. Um, so, yeah. Oh, I, wow. Sadly, I couldn't find... So yeah. maybe... That's a true crime story, just waiting for some podcast person to go find it. Or an author or the something. The information or somebody. Yeah. Um, is that a hint? Yeah, there you <laughs> go. That's a hint for, yeah, you podcast, you true crime people. Like, that could have been one that I've never heard of him, but that mm-hmm. he was murdered in a case of mistaken identity. I mean, maybe it's not that, if it's just a mistaken identity where he just walked in they thought it was a burglar, maybe that's it. But um, I don't know. Uh, and then Wednesday, hmm. September 6th, 1950, former librarian Beverly Cleary... You guys yeah. remember that name? Yes. Oh, yeah. Every girl knows that name. Yes. She launched her career as a writer of popular children's fiction with the publication of, remember the first was book? Was it Ramona the Pest? Henry Huggins. Ramona. Was the oh. first one. Oh. By the, Not any Ramona. Yeah. Henry Huggins started, I think Ramona started as a character. I think he was Henry's sister. It could be. I think Henry. Hug- yeah, I think there's a book called Henry and Ramona. Henry, Henry Huggins started <laughs> it as the first thing mm-hmm. and then. It, then it shifted to Ramona, and then she took the spotlight, and Henry only appeared a little bit. Yeah. But, but she started with Henry Huggins by the William Morrow Company with illustrations by Lewis Darling. According to her autobiography, My Own Two Feet, the publisher asked Cleary to change the name of the dog. Remember the dog's yeah. name? Mm, no, I don't. Rib, Ribsy. Oh, yeah. Oh, Remember Ribsy? that's actually a great that's dog's right. name. Yeah, they asked her to change it to Ribsy from its original name of Spare Ribs. Oh, yeah. And Spare Ribs, I mm-hmm. found out, was named after when she was writing it. She happened to have spare ribs in the fridge, and that's how she named oh. it. Oh. Yeah. That's why I made it Ribsy. Uh, which, but I remember Ribsy yeah. and, like, was Super Fudge? Was that the same person? That's Judy that, Bloom. Oh, Judy Bloom. I used to get that mixed up. Yeah. But I read mm-hmm. Ribsy. Mm-hmm. I don't think I, I don't know if I read the Ramona ones, but it's just funny how... It just brings back, it's just a little book like that brings back so much nostalgia. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Just a little, did you know? And then Thursday, September 7th, 1950, the game show Truth or Consequences made its debut on the CBS television network at 10 p.m. Eastern time mm-hmm. after having been a successful radio program. It was hosted by Ralph Ooh. Edwards. The game, show, the game show Congress annually presents the Ralph Edwards Service Award because he was so great. Oh. For, for those within the game show community who have worked tirelessly for charitable causes. So I, I had went down this whole rabbit hole because I couldn't believe there's, what's the Game Show Congress? Yeah. There is like a mm-hmm. yearly, it's like a yearly game show convention that happens. Oh, man. It still happens. It's like uh, game show fans and game show hosts and everybody like go to some retreat somewhere in some city and just like celebrate you game You imagine show. the costumes? Yeah, I, I I bet that's fun. Like, I game shows are cool. Like, I don't love game shows. <laughs> I don't know shows, if they're very they, vogue anymore. They really need to give Alec Trebek a lifetime achievement. Oh, yes. I'll bet you if you go to Game Show Congress this next year oh. or whenever the pandemic's over, yeah, he'll be but the poster. He boy. actually 
he went to university probably about uh, 20 miles from me. Oh, really? Oh, wow. So, so here in Ottawa, when he died, it was a big thing. Oh, um, yeah. And, and, and they did a lot of things for him here because of, he always did such great things for his hometown. Oh, good. As well as Ottawa. That's nice so, to hear. It's yeah. nice to hear somebody like that is not a jerk. Like I know. No. I, he was yeah. the least jerkiest person. I always, yeah. I always, I did, I will say I always kind of just assumed he was a jerk because he's like, I have all the answers. I have all the knowledge. Know. Yeah. Yeah. I used to love, oh yeah. So, yeah, that's good. What well, back to truth or consequences. On the show, I wasn't really aware of this show. I mean, I had heard of it, but I didn't really know. But mm-hmm. on the show, contestants received roughly two seconds to answer a trivia question correctly, usually an off-the-wall question that nobody would actually be able to answer or a bad joke mm-hmm. before Beulah the buzzer sounded. And then on the rare occasion that a contestant would answer it right, the host would reveal the question has multiple parts and they can never get it right. But the real thing is like everybody wanted to do the consequence, whether or not they got it right. Oh. So per- sometimes it was a zany or embarrassing stunt. Um, but sometimes it would be like an emotional surprise like for a contestant. So like being reunited with a long lost relative or oh. if uh, an enlisted son or daughter is returning from military oh, duty, cool. like just not in Vietnam or something, um, which I had no idea. And then Bob Barker was a host of this for a while. Oh, really? Really? Yeah, in the 50s. And he, he it's funny, he traditionally ended each episode with the phrase, hoping all your consequences are happy ones. And so he was the host of this in the 50s. So like mm-hmm. the mid-50s to the late 50s. And then one time in 1994, when he was host of The Price is Right, he started accidentally delivering that closing. You're kidding. But he caught himself by mistake and covered it by saying, hoping all your prices are right, <laughs> instead of saying that. And then he switched to his tagline. Do you yeah. remember what his tagline was on yeah, Prices Right? Yeah, have your pets spayed or neutered. <laughs> neutered. <laughs> have your pets spayed yeah. or neutered, yeah. yeah. I completely forgot that until I looked this up. I totally for- I remember it. Yeah. But what an odd thing for him to say every day. All the time. Every Don't forget day. to have your pets spayed or neutered. Yeah, like how how often do you have to do that? Like spay or neuter your, but your dog. Clearly, a lot of people are not doing it since they have these yes. shelters built. Yeah, yes. that's true. That's true. I mean, that's there was a, a meme I saw, and it was one of those with where it's Kermit the Frog puppet. You mm-hmm. know that little, and he's like laying in a bed, and it said six year old me, and then it, there was uh, another pu- Muppet like caressing that one and it said bob barker under that one so it's like when you were six years old sick in bed bob barker was there to oh he was soothe, there to to soothe there. you like yeah you always watch prices right always i remember we would watch the <laughs> bozo show on wgn that's I, you probably never, never heard got, of that one no. well wgn is actually a chicago station and i grew right. up in northwest ohio and we it was one of our I don't know why we got WGN, yep. but um, it was a Chicago station. We'd watch the Bozo Show, and then Price is Right. Anyway, that's another thing. But All right. But it's weird how that reminds you of being sick, and then so you almost- like, The Price is Right, like yeah. Like, if you watch Price is Right, I want some ginger ale <laughs> and some saltines. <laughs> uh, so that brings us to Saturday, September 9th, 1950. Do we get your my birthday? There's your birthday. All right, happy birthday. <laughs> we got. We hit it. I've been just waiting. I'm just keep looking up. Like, is this is the this birthday? Oh, happy <laughs> birthday on September 9th. So, um, yeah. The, so on the, your, your birthday, maybe you know about this. If not, you have 
uh, a story or two to tell from now on on your birthday. Oh, I do. Tell me. So, I just thought me being born was enough. Yeah, story, really. But you tell me. Well, in 1950, on your birthday, Brenda, the laugh track was introduced to television viewers with the premiere of the Hank McCune show. Oh, the really? first ever laugh track. Laugh track. It was a situation comedy on the NBC television show network. Television network. Um, viewers could hear laughter and applause coming from an invention by sound engineer Charlie Douglas called the Laugh Box, L-A-F-F. Mm-hmm. Uh, the laugh track would become a feature of most television comedies in the next few decades. But then I, I felt, again, another rabbit hole. This he had this guy, Charlie Douglas, not only invented this thing, he didn't share how it worked with anyone. Oh, my God. Like, the thing is the 1950s technology. Yeah. So nobody, like, nobody... They com- couldn't figure it out? Yeah, computers aren't just, like, Wait. a thing, so... He, they just couldn't record somebody laughing and play it and hit the tape recorder I, button to play. Over I don't and think over? it was that easy. I think what he did is like he had a contraption that kind of had like, from what I understand, it had like a almost like I'm picturing like a keyboard, like Ferris Bueller, like yeah, with the coughs, they, you know, you could push yeah. a button and laugh yeah. and push another button and they. Yes, yeah, so according to the Washington Post, he had a virtual monopoly on the laugh track business when it came to time to <laughs> lay in the laughs. The producer would direct Douglas where and when to insert. The type of laugh requested, right. too. Yeah. Like they had different laughs at different times. And yeah. the whole reason they started it is because audiences wouldn't laugh at the right times, in their opinion. Like yeah. they were like, oh, we need to laugh there. That's why it's not, you know? Yes. Or they're laughing too long. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we got to get going. And get why moving. are they laughing at that? So um, they would direct him where to put it. And then Douglas would then go to work at creating the audience concealed from the producer. He wouldn't let anybody in the room. Nobody could be in the <laughs> studio to see what he was doing to preserve the secrecy of the technique, according to TV Guide. Cons- Did he patent it? Well, cons- yeah, I, th- I think so. So, But because of this, not many people, nobody saw him do it. They didn't know how he did it. So he had this one-of-a-kind device known throughout, like I said, as a laugh box. It was secured. He had it secured with padlocks. It was more than mm-hmm. two feet tall, and it operated like an organ, they said. Only immediate members of his family knew what it looked like. And at one time, the laugh box was called the most sought-after but well-concealed box in the world, Jeez. according to Paul Iverson in his article in the Hofstra University Archives. Um, huh. In 2010, his laugh box was unearthed on Antiques Roadshow. What? Uh, really? Yeah. Its historical value was appraised. Are you ready for this? What? At ten thousand dollars. Oh my god. That's it? That's it. Yeah. I was I actually thought it'd be more Yeah, I thought it'd be more too. At this point. Yeah, you'd think so. But you think by twenty ten, like I I could make that in my on my home computer. Yeah, you know, right. right now. Like right. I could make a I, I can just download a, a <laughs> you know, MP three. Yeah. Yeah. We could put call it a day. I could put a laugh track in this episode and now that we're saying it, I probably will just to prove I think that you I should. Yeah. yeah. yeah it'll just laugh you throughout totally everything. Should. Yeah. Um I did talk. Oh, aim. I re- never mind. All right, tell I'm me not going to tell you because I have a a secret thing that I just realized I'm working on. Okay. To you're talking out loud to just annoy you late, okay. later on in a later <laughs> oh, episode. Great. So that's a whole great. But it reminds me of this anyway. All right, that same day I got more for your birthday, Brenda. On your Ooh. birthday, Yolanda Betsby. No, no, Betbees. B e t b e z e. Betbeezy, probably. Yeah, probably. Betbeezy. You guys know who that is? <laughs> Not at she all. She was Miss Alabama, and she was crowned Miss America 1951. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this weird year, for some reason this year, 
they crowned the 1951 Miss America in 1950. I'm not sure why, but she was Miss Alabama, and she traveled to Atlantic City, New Jersey, to compete in the Miss America pageant. Having She had been educated in a convent, so she was reluctant to pose in a swimsuit, yeah. so, so she refused to do it. After, oh. she, after she won Miss America, uh, according to the Huntsville Times, and that led to the swimsuit com- company Catalina to withdraw their sponsorship of the Miss America huh. pageant and eventually brought out the creation of the rival Miss USA pageant because Miss America huh. stopped focusing so much on the, the, the beauty part oh. and the bathing suit huh. part. So that's why Miss USA exists. And I think that's the Trump thing, isn't it? Yeah. Miss USA. Like, yeah. He's, I'm sure he's focused only on that stuff. Uh, right. But <laughs> mm-hmm. so... Her this Miss America title was the only one to be postdated. Due to the change, there was no Miss America for 1950. The Miss America organization claimed that her actions were pivotal. Oh yeah, I already said that to change their value, focusing on other things and intelligence. But so I looked into Yolanda a little bit. She was active in the feminist movement by nine really? in the 50s. You go, girl. Yes, yeah, yeah. she was active in NAACP, Congress of Racial Equality. Was she white? She was. I think she was sort of uh, Bet 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 Betsby, Yolanda. She you looked she looked white. Okay, her, her picture. Okay, uh, but dark hair, so maybe a little bit. Yeah, maybe uh, something Latina or yeah. something. But I'm not exactly. I don't know what Bet Betsby is like. Maybe Eastern European or something. But um, yeah, but she also participated. Sane. She was a member of the committee for a sane nuclear policy. Uh, policy. So she's cool. Uh, she studied philosophy. She was an opera singer. She helped found an off-Broadway theater. Whoa. So, you know, we think of these beauty pageant people as just yeah. dumbbells or whatever. And so I think Tiffany last week on our last episode really kind of made me think, like, let's pause a minute and recognize women who we don't hear yeah. about that have done something cool. Women though, and people of color. And people of color, yeah. for sure, which we'll get to another one here. But I want to take more than just a second. Ah, oh, she won a beauty pageant. And I was right. Like, and especially in 1950 to do those things. I know. I It blows my mind. And that should be something celebrated. Nobody's ever heard of her. So let's give her a moment to like, you know, snap a little well, you, bit. And, yeah. You could have looked up how to pronounce her last name if you really <laughs> cared that much about her. Well, most of the article, her last name was Fox because she married some guy named Fox. But yeah. I actually cut that out of her bio because mm-hmm. I didn't want just her marriage to be... A focus, you know, because her marrying some guy doesn't right. need to be a focus. So, um, yeah. Cool. Yeah, so happy birthday, Brenda. September 10th, 1950, did you know that George Bernard Shaw, the 94-year-old British playwright, slipped from a ladder while trying to prune a tree and fractured his thigh? Oh. He would then die less than eight weeks later. Okay, bummer. I did know that. You knew that? You want to know why? Well, yes. Because the Shaw Festival is out of Niagara Falls, and I used to go to it whenever I could. Oh, oh wow. that's cool. And they probably talked about that. They do. And then the Colgate Comedy Hour premiered that same day, uh, which we've talked about a few times. I've mentioned yes. a bunch of times. Uh, it was uh, supposed to be a competitor to Ed Sullivan's variety show, and they would rotate hosts between Eddie Cantor, Martin Lewis, and Fred Allen. It ran for six seasons. And then Monday, September 11th, 1950, the case of Bowling versus Sharp began when 11 African-American students were denied enrollment in Washington, D.C.'s new John Philip Sousa Junior High School because the U.S. Congress had voted years earlier for racial segregation of D.C. schools. 
The denial led to a suit, which would be decided on May 17, 1954, the same day as Brown v. Board of Education. Oh. And the court would unanimously hmm. strike, strike it down uh, along with that. And that same day, 33 people were killed when a train carrying U.S. Army recruits stalled on the tracks in Ohio and was struck by the Spirit of St. Louis Express, operated by the Pennsylvania Railroad. Yeah. And then I'm going to jump all the way to September 16th, 1950, which was a Saturday, and it was the start of the 1950 NFL season. It was the 31st regular season of of the National Football League. The merger with the All-America Football Conference expanded the league to 13 teams. Meanwhile, television brought a new era to the game. The Los Angeles Rams became the first NFL team to have all of its games, both home and away, televised. The Washington Redskins became the second team to put their games on TV. Other teams arranged to have select games televised. So that probably blew everybody's mind. Yeah, I mean. Seeing it on TV. Well, and think about the rifts it started with husbands and wives. Yeah. You know, like. I remember. I still remember you to this day telling me when you were a kid, all the guys in your family were watching football. Oh, every Sunday on, on Thanksgiving or on Sundays. And every you would go, Sunday, you go pull the power so they couldn't watch. Yeah, the game I would go take the fuse out of the fuse box, and really? all the power in the See? house would yeah. go out, and I'd get in and run away. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that football is not watched in Canada. It is, and quite often by a lot of people. Yeah, um, but that's not our go-to. It's hockey. Oh yeah, yeah. hockey. Oh, yeah. Hockey. We come out of the womb with skates. <laughs> Bardownski's boys. <laughs> that's their letter kidding thing. Oh, okay. the, ho- the hockey guys say all kinds of crazy things that I don't understand. But um, anyway, uh, the season started. And then Sunday, September 17th, 1950, a Miami Herald reporter whose stories were sometimes picked up by the AP, E.V.W. Jones, he published the first known press coverage to describe a pattern of disappearances in what would later be referred to as the Bermuda Triangle. Sweet. Hmm. Jones titled his story, Seize Puzzles Still Baffle Men in the Push-Button Age. Whatever that means. Well, the push-button age was the 1950s. Like, they thought that was high technology. We have push-buttons now that do things. So, uh, <laughs> And it began with a recent news item about the April 6th disappearance of an American fri- freighter, the Sandra, in the Caribbean Sea, and recounted other re- uh, recent incidents. Um the, the points were, were Bermuda, San Juan, Puerto Rico, and Miami. And Triangle writers have used a number of supernatural concepts to explain the events. One explanation pins the blame on leftover technology from the mythical lost continent of, continent of Atlantis. Uh, sometimes connected to the Atlantis story is a submerged rock formation known as Bimini Road off the island of Bimini of the Bahamas, which is in the Triangle by some definitions. Other writers attribute the events to UFOs. I always thought the Bermuda mm-hmm. Triangle was in some really remote area of the ocean that people just avoid. Oh, no. But it's a no, huge... It's not. Yeah, it's a huge triangle that every day tons of boats go through. Right. Like, so, so it's not... Like, I was grew up as like, I never want to go through the Bermuda Triangle. Right. Because I'll get lost. But I would read, you know, reading this, I was like, oh, it's huge. It's, everybody goes through there all the yeah. time. So, Well, yeah. interestingly, if you look at the stats behind the Bermuda Triangle, yeah. they haven't lost... Um, necessarily more than other areas, right? Yeah. Okay. It's actually for it's more considering the size of the area. It's actually reasonable. It's probably but low. if you look at other areas, there is other triangles in the world that are more that are worse. Ooh. Like for example, the Alaskan Triangle. Have you guys heard about that? No. 
Now I got you guys got homework. Yeah, tell us yeah. all about it. Or do you have an episode about that? I do. Um, it, my very first episode, I talked about the Alaskan Triangle, but it actually makes logical sense that with the Alaska, think about it. Okay. The terrain yeah. is horrible. The weather, it's horrible. Yeah. And cool. most people who want to go in there are not dressed for it. Yeah. Yeah. And on top of it, you have basically massive ice um, surfaces and uh, mountains that'll break away. Oh. You have fog, you have storms. Yeah. It makes a lot of logical sense. And also with it, a lot of that area hasn't even been really truly looked into or, or mapped out yet. So oh. it makes logical sense that you're just not going to find anything. Right. Then you add all the wildlife, like the bears. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the bears. That blows my the mind bears. that we have any place on Earth at this point that hasn't been explored. Like, that's why the deep ocean, like, freaks me out. It's like, there's... Yeah. We don't know right. what's in the deep ocean. Yeah, I know. Like, we still don't know. There ask. could be some big motherfucker down there, and there we just be, don't know. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, and that's the interesting know. thing. They have about 250 new species that's found a year. Isn't that nuts? That blows Isn't that mind. crazy? Yeah. That is crazy. So... So to me, for example, they, they, and they talk about like all the supernatural reasons behind the possibility of Bermuda Triangle and some of them that brought was brought up previously, like, you know, like the, the Krakens and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. If you actually look at it, the Kraken is just a, a, a gigantic octopus. And because in the deep water, they're able to grow bigger. Yeah. So the Kraken was proven to be real. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah. The Kraken's right? real. Giant squid, so, too. Yeah. was another one right. that they didn't know existed. And I remember reading um, an, an account from a fisherman, and it was kind of at the, a long time ago. It yeah. was like a, a log that he had left, and he, he kept, he started, it was like at night, and he was alone on the boat, and it started to jostle, uh -huh. but it was in calm mm -hmm. water. And he said he, he shone his torch down into the water, and it was an eye the size of a dinner plate looking uh, up at him uh, at the, yeah. in the night all by yourself on a boat. Yeah, I'm creep out, uh, man. Oh my god! I, I think god. there's a yeah, did you, oh yeah. I think there's now. A did UFO you guys beast. hear the news yesterday about the um, DNA um, sequencing has been done on the platypus? Because the platypus oh. used to be a cryptid. No. Oh really? They, Right. And then they discovered it was actually a real thing um, in the uh, late uh, 19th century. But the funny thing is they finally just finished the sequencing. And do you know what a platypus actually is? No, what? I didn't. I haven't heard this. It is a mammal, a bird, and a reptile. Wow. You're kidding. I, it's all of it. We knew it was a mammal. A Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's crazy. Right. Now, is it they the always said it was a mammal, but it's not. It's, it's not. not. It's a bird and it's a three reptile. And a mammal. It's so all of it. It's the. It's like the missing link. It is. That's now, crazy. isn't it a platypus related to like an echidna or something? Or what's an echidna? It's another. Well, Australian, it's clearly. It's, it's another clear, Australian. It's clearly animal related to a duck, a dog, and a beaver. A reptile. What reptile would it be? Well, they do have the poisonous in their. What yeah, they got in their, poison in their, in their, their legs. Their legs. In their legs. They, they in their legs? The do? male platypus That's, has a has a a spur on his leg yeah. and he stabs and it's poison. What? More poisonous that's, than a snake. What? Yeah, that's where they get from the reptiles. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. I didn't know crazy, that. Right? They're crazy animals. And thank crazy. you for listening to the Platypus Podcast. <laughs> the, platypus, the Platypus Hour. Learning the Platypus Hour. Uh, that's hilarious. You mix horrifying history and American timelines, you get the Platypus Hour. That's right. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll try to move a little bit quicker. The U.S. Senate passed... On whatever date I'm on, I keep forgetting it's not a touch screen, my son's computer. September 20th, 1950 is a Wednesday. The U.S. Senate passed the Internal Security Act of 1950, also known as the McCarran Act. 
This act required that communist organizations had to register with the U.S. Attorney General uh, and prohibited the employment of communists in federal government jobs. It also barred the issuance of passports to members of communist organizations. And in a clause called the Detention Act, it gave the president the power to declare an emergency for the purpose of placing suspected communists and communist sympathizers into detention camps. Wow. Holy shit. So we're not going down a good road here. No. Um, No. And that was actually repealed uh, partly in 1971 and 1972, after facing public opposition, notably from Japanese Americans. Isn't you, it amazing? Isn't it weird how <laughs> every time the the white supremacists start to feel like they're losing power, they accuse the other side of being a communist? Yeah, they always accuse the other side yeah. of doing everything that they're doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's it's the it's the biggest case of gaslighting. You'll oh ever my see. god, it is. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, I'm sure, Brenda. I'm sure it's weird for you to be on here with a bunch of Americans with what we just went through this week. Yeah, with our um, civil war t- or whatever it is. I've I've talked to a lot of my American friends, and honestly, this is going to sound very horrible. Please don't kill me, all you American. <laughs> um, our border is closed. Most people in Canada yeah. are very happy. Yeah. Yes. That's happening right now. Yeah, sure, yeah. But the reality of it is, if, if I could sneak a, co- a couple people over and mm-hmm. offer my services as an emotional support Canadian, I'm here for you. Yes. Um, I can make some great poutine. <laughs> and, oh, it's um, so delicious. And it's so poutine. Delicious. I always thought it was poutine, but... No, uh, it's Putin. Oh my God, it's so <laughs> delicious! I don't know why we don't have it at more places. Uh, what's the? It's the. It's the, the weirdest but best oh, yeah. invention ever. Fries. Oh, yeah. There was oh, a I, so when good. I was in Montreal for just for laughs. There was a, a poutine truck that I just every day I got a different. And style why of you have hypertension? Now. That's why I have hypertension now. Yeah, so <laughs> There's no health at all in that. <laughs> yeah, no. no, just French fries None. slathered in gravy um, <laughs> with the with cheese curds. Oh, wow. the cheese curds on top. Yeah, I can't forget the cheese curds. That's the thing. Yeah, so good. Um, so <laughs> Thursday, September twenty first, nineteen fifty, uh, on Bill Murray's birthday. Uh, that's that's all I'll talk about. No. Uh, and then Friday, September twenty second, nineteen fifty. I want to pause and talk about Dr. Ralph Bunch who was named as the winner of the 1950 Nobel Peace Prize, becoming the first African-American to win the award. He was honored for his work in brokering ceasefire agreements between Israel and her Arab neighbors. Nice. And Dr. Ralph Bunch, was Mm -hmm. he spent time in Toledo, Ohio. Really? He's from Detroit, but he spent time in Toledo, and then his family moved to uh, the West Coast. Um, So there's he's got this whole long history and he's a descendant of slaves uh so it's really cool wow that he great. he did this kind of cool thing um you know it's really cool is the fact that he started his life in detroit yeah and he's negotiating peace in israel yes yes <laughs> yes yeah so that's cool yeah because i've been to detroit yeah, have you yeah and good for it's you fun. man yeah yes. really <laughs> detroit is rough i'm from 45 minutes outside of detroit i'm from toledo ohio so uh, I I'm with you on that. You know, we go up to Detroit for <laughs> sports games and concerts. The and airport, stuff. and that's about it. And that's it. You don't want to go for much <laughs> else because it's it's a hellscape. Um, yep. And Saturday, September twenty third, nineteen fifty. Uh, the U.S. Senate voted 57 to 10 to override President Truman's veto of that Internal Security Act uh, mm-hmm. a day after the House had voted 286 to 48 to pass it into law. Mm-hmm. So Truman tried to stop that. Really? Uh, which. You know, a feather yeah. in his cap. Uh, mm-hmm. Oops. Mm-hmm. Shoot, I got lost here a minute. Oh, no, where was I? Oh, and that brings us to Amy's thing on September 4th, 1950, 
I understand you have something to yes. wow us with. Well, and, we'll and see. it's not necessarily a murder. It's not a murder this time. Yeah, you time. gave it away at the beginning. Yeah. And I. Oh, darn. I know. And I kind of phoned it in this week because. Because okay. you knew Brenda would be bringing the heat. That's right. That's yes. right. <laughs> well, no, it's, uh, my, my work has been crazy. So. Yes. Amy is a teacher. In a pandemic. In a pandemic. Not working. Uh, so. Oh, wow. So most of this is from, is by Lou Bernard from P- PAWilds.com. But okay. and then I also got some from the Buffalo Courier Express from September twenty fourth, nineteen fifty. So okay. it was a newspaper. Now Buffalo to me is basically just a Canadian city. We I know it's technically in the U.S. Yeah, but it's so far up there that I just assume that's Canada. Lots of snow. Yeah. Okay. We count it as ours. We'll just take it. Yeah, just take it. So I'm we're good. I'm going to tell us about Black Sunday. Black Sunday. And we kind of touched on this at the beginning. Yeah, September twenty. We talked about the again. We talked about the chichi. Chinchinga fire. Right. Which started in June mm-hmm. and it's continued. To me, that blows my mind. But, yes. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah. So. Okay. So, usually there's nothing unexplained about the dark. It happens every night, usually between 8 and 10 p.m., depending on the season. Okay. But on September 24th, 1950, 69 years ago today, which it's not. Because I got this from 69 years ago, ago, the day that article that you read was written. That's right. It (laughs) happened far too early, in the early afternoon to be specific. Oh, the same day that Think Fast was on ABC? It was an American quiz show that ran from March 26, 1949 to October 8, 1950 that revolved around a group of five panelists, three regulars, and two weekly guests who would compete to see who had the most to say about a particular subject. They'd sit at a large table, each getting a chance to sit at the king's throne by out-talking the others. On that same day? Oh, I would rather slit my throat. <laughs> yeah, doesn't that sound it. like a terrible show? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yes. Uh, and it was a mystery, one that covered the Pennsylvania wilds in darkness. Wow. So it began at about 3 p.m. Yeah. Okay. The sky began to go dark all across Pennsylvania wilds gradually but quickly, which is, to me, kind of a weird way to phrase it. But Yeah, when you say the Pennsylvania hmm. wilds, yeah. that's just the, the like the unsettled areas of yeah. like the... Yeah. I, I, yeah. Okay. And by four in the afternoon, it could have been midnight, is how dark it was. Yeah. Hmm. So Robert Linman of Potter County wrote about the incident in his book, Amazing Indeed. He reported, it became darker and darker as impenetrable clouds blanketed the sky. As the black cloud mass churned and tumbled, weird lights colored the sky green, orange, and red, yellow, and blue. It was an amazing phenomenon of awesome beauty. Can you imagine hmm. not knowing what that is? What's going and just on? suddenly, it's the end of the world? Because it's not like... You really have to think about these times. Like a- anything yeah. that goes on weird, we look at it's face- all superstition. Facebook, Twitter, and we see it. Oh, okay, it's a whatever. It's whatever. Yeah. I hear a shot, a gunshot. I look on Facebook. Immediately, somebody's already said, "Oh, I heard a shot. Oh, it's target practice for this Civil yeah. War reenactment, or whatever it is." You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, like we don't know. That's nineteen fifty. Okay. And what a lot of people went to always was the supernatural ideology. Right. Oh, it's got to be you. Well, you know, it's got to yeah. be ghosts. It's got to be UFO. the apocalypse. Yeah. It's got to be UFOs. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah. And that's exactly yeah. what happened. So the um, phone lines in Coder Sport, which was a little town there, around okay. there, jammed with people calling one another and trying to figure out what was going on. It seemed the dark skies landscape was shockingly literal at that time, too. But this was during the day. Speculation involved UFOs, clouds from a forest fire, an eclipse, or the Russians dropping an atomic bomb. There was a also threat, a threat, yeah, a real worry yeah. at that, that time. You and know, that at time, absolutely. This is during duck and cover and all that, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And there was also a collateral theory that the government was testing something to block the view of the Russia of Russia because, as everyone knows, Cowdesport, Pennsylvania would be the first target in a nuclear war. And I don't know why everyone knows that. I don't know that. I don't know why. Hmm. Um, one woman who would, wanted to remain anonymous was driving from Tioga County to Lycoming County at the time. Okay. Seeing the darkness, she later reported, I thought I was going crazy. It was afternoon and I had to turn on my headlight. And she had that voice? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> A few counties over in Warren, the bomb theory was repeated as it was the middle of the Cold War at this time. Is that Warren, Ohio? Because mm, that's close to the border. It's just probably in Pennsylvania still. Warren, Pennsylvania? The Warren County people also brought up the forest fire explanation, though a quick search of newspapers revealed no fire that seemed likely to have caused the event. A pilot flying over the area at 25,000 feet reported that he had to use instruments because of the smoke. So in the Cook Hmm. Forest area, it was reported that nocturnal birds and animals were coming out, while on a neighboring farm, chickens went home to roost. Really? Now, I remember when this last eclipse happened. It was Warren County, Pennsylvania, probably. Yeah. Sorry. When this last eclipse happened. Yeah. That happened. Uh, it was weird. The 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 one that Trump stared at with the, his bare yes, eyes. Yes. The <laughs> locusts started to, to make noises. Oh, and that's like, right. Right when the eclipse went dark, you heard the <laughs> sound of the locusts, and then they went away when the light came back. That's it was so weird so that just... Weird. Just the sun affects that many things I know. on our planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. so weird. I mean, the, I don't know. If you really think about it, just the fact that we are intelligently speaking humans on a fucking thing in the universe. I know. That's amazing, yeah. probably. So th- there was a yeah. local reporter that saw the event happening. Um, he... Uh, went and called another reporter and together they confirmed that the darkness was was really widespread Uh, from at least the i-80 frontier to elk elk country the countryside was blanketed in darkness and the i-80 90 turnpike goes from pennsylvania all the way to missouri i think like through chicago yeah indiana so so how widespread or widespread was this phenomenon well it was you said from I eighty to elk country, which I'm not sure. Wh- well, I know there's like Elkhart, Indiana, yeah, and all that. So down, I think it uh, was. I think yeah. it was a pretty widespread area. Yeah, but I don't have the exact. You don't have the exact info. I have a. I have a couple eyewitness quotes here. All right. So one of the mm-hmm. reporters said it was dark and cold. It was not until noon that I first noticed the strange yellow light outside. It kept getting darker and darker. The strange, hot, tawny color at the zenith had the quality of a yellow August afterglow, yet different. By 2 o'clock p.m., it was almost like night. In the west, deep blue, black clouds. Then the sky went from Mars violet up to tawny orange. Lower clouds and white and cold. In the southeast, brilliant yellow light at the horizon. And then there was another... Um, the other reporter said, between 1400 and 1600 Eastern Standard Time, light from the sky was diminished to the dimness of twilight. The sky was Mm. chaotic with, I don't know what that word is. The sky was chaotic, showing where the 
I'm not going to read this quote. I'm changing my mind. All right. Let's cut that <laughs> There's a one. lot of, I don't know how this person's talking and why they're talking. So edit that out. All right. Okay. Um, <laughs> so in Clinton County, most people retreated into their homes. A little girl in the corner of Main and Grove Street in Lock Haven sustained minor injuries when she was hit by a passing car that hadn't turned on its headlights. Oh, that's, oh. that's crazy. Meanwhile, down at the airport, local pilots returned to their hangars as the light dimmed. Fred McDonald of All American Airlines landed his plane full of passengers rather than take the risk of continuing the flight. Uh, so I guess they mm-hmm. didn't have a lot of light instruments at this time. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Right. Yeah. Um, and one enterprising reporter went to the top of Highland Cemetery to get a look from higher elevation. A huge cloud covered the area, but to the east and south, he reported that he could still see some daylight filtering in. The phenomenon lasted for several hours finally moving to the north and becoming light again just before nightfall. I heard baseball. there was a baseball game that they had to turn the lights on. Yeah. I read that somewhere. And it then got dark as usual, just like when night came. Yeah. It got dark like regular. It just stayed dark. Yeah. The most reasonable explanation was the smoke from a large Canadian forest fire had blocked the sun, which we were Which would have been the Chinchinga, ch- yes. Chinchinga fire. However, plenty of people still believe in the theory of government Chinchaga. experiments, UFOs, or other strange phenomena. For an afternoon. I guess my, oh, my one question I have here yeah. is, did they even smell anything? And that's what I was thinking throughout this thing. Yeah, that's a good did question. Did they actually report smelling smoke? I think that's the weird thing about that Chinchaga fire is what I read was that it was so far away from a lot of the places it affected that you couldn't smell it. Right. That's strange. So that's why they didn't know. Like, they didn't know that there was a fire in Canada, you know, because it's far enough away you don't smell anything. Yeah, uh, but those fires, like they smell for, I, I, I'm not from an area, neither are you, that. But has I, fires. there was a fire in the in the mountains. Yeah, we're now we live in North Carolina. We live in the Charlotte area, and there, when there's a fire in the mountains and stuff, we, we can, can smell, smell it. it. You can smell it. Like, oh yeah. Charlotte sometimes is just covered in a haze of smoke, and folks have said that's not. It doesn't happen all the time, but people are used to it. I'm just like, this is crazy. It's creepy. It smells like everything's on fire, and I'm panicked and. Yeah. I'm not used to that, but other people are. And like in California, like yeah. when I see those wildfires that have been going on all summer, I'm like calling my aunt and I'm like, are yeah. you okay? This is the end of times. Why do you live out there? And they're like, that happens all the time. Like every yeah. year. Yeah, like a day you know, ending just, of why. Yeah. So, and it's just kind of like they, you said, Brenda, it's pretty common up there, right? Yeah. When we had, when they had the um, big um, fires up in British Columbia, um, this is about two years ago, I think. Um, basically, I have my my husband was actually po- or deployed at the time to Africa. Uh, oh. He oh, was wow. in Mali. Okay. And so I would send him pictures and stuff like that. I was walking, and I have so many pictures of that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd walk my dog at noon. Yeah. And it looked like it was dusk. Oh, wow. um, when you look like two, it looks like it was um, just, you know, when the sun is just at the horizon, like down yeah. almost set yeah. and and it was so dark and it got so bad that pretty well everyone I know was on reacting. Yeah. Wow. And eye drops because it was so bad. Yeah. So that was my question. British Columbia and where I was in Alberta that you're looking at a 16 hour drive. Yeah. Wow. wow. So and you could smell smoke just like it was there. That's so I guess crazy. it depends. It sounds like in in this scenario it was so high in the atmosphere I that guess. you couldn't have the scent. It, it must was just have. airflow. It must yeah, have been. Cuz yeah. you just see and like I was saying, I now I can't remember if I was talking about this when we were recording or not, but I was talking about being up north in West Branch, Michigan, which is kind of where the thumb is on the Michigan hand, you know, yeah. kind of the knuckle. 
Uh, and there was a time we were up there one summer, and it just got dark at like noon. Yeah, and it, and mm-hmm. nobody knew why. But up there, there's no like, you know, you have no Wi-Fi signal. You're right. Not a, you know, so you don't. And this was in the '80s before we had any of that anyway, so nobody knew why. Mm-hmm. And then there was a storm came in or something, but. Uh, but I'm that was made me think maybe that's because that was real close to Canada, real close to UP. So I'm thinking, mm-hmm. I'm thinking that must maybe be that just had something to do with yeah, it. Yeah, one of those times that happens that Brenda said that happens kind of common. But so that's but all, another question yeah. too yeah. is also tornadoes, for example. Oh yeah, tornadoes mm. also cause a dusk like look. Yes. Was there anything like that in the area at that time? Yeah, they. I didn't see any reports that there was like severe weather. That came that followed it or anything. Yeah. So that's like, hmm. another weird thing is usually when it gets that dark, it rains. Yeah. <laughs> something that, tornado wipes out a trailer park or something. Right. Well, yeah, and that's, that's yeah, it gets real creepy. The, the sky before a tornado is really a tor- creepy. Very ominous. Yeah. And... It's like green. Well, and I think the northern lights. I still don't trust that that's a normal thing. <laughs> like when they say the oh, norm- for us Canadians, it's a total normal. Yeah, for thing. you guys, it's completely normal. <laughs> but just when I see that, like the green glowing, like. Yeah. What? What? Because there was recently some phenomenon where you could see it as far south as here. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what was. Go- I don't think we saw it, but they were saying you may be able to see the northern lights as far south as North Carolina because of some really? anomaly or something in the sky. We didn't. We couldn't see it from where we were, but yeah, I remember thinking people are going to freak out yeah. if they see that because they're not used that. to it. Yeah, we wouldn't see that. What is that? You know. So. Yeah. Whereas Every, I grew yeah. up with that, like if you, it's co- basically if it gets dropped, temperature drops and it's colder, like in winter, it's Northern mm-hmm. Lights. You just, <laughs> wow. there it is. Yeah. And so those of you who don't see Northern Lights or haven't, look it up on the internet. It's gorgeous. It's, yeah, they're beautiful, but it doesn't seem normal. Like how would you, <laughs> how would you not think that's a UFO? But like anything, if you're used to it, no big deal. It's like, yeah, oh, right. there they are. Yep. <laughs> that's why I kind of believe if they, if UFOs are real and we already know about them, they're just going to little by little just introduce it to us. And so we're just used to it. And, and it's not then, that big of a deal. <laughs> that's really um, what it's cost That's from. the way to do it. Um, well, thanks, AIM, for that. That was, I know it's. Uh, it wasn't that good, but that's all right. Well, they're, I, not, they're not all home runs. I have a quick murder that I'll cover that okay. you could have covered, but I don't have much on it. Yeah. and you That's the hard part about this, 1950. Well, and, and you are, and I'm just fascinated that you, we had a conversation earlier today or yesterday about. A murder and why, why some murders intrigue you and some do not. To me, none of them do. They're just <laughs> gross murders. So I don't understand the difference. Like, why would you like one murder and one other one? So you told me you don't you don't get into organized crime murders. Like to yeah, you, that's I'm not, not as into the mob because that's stuff. not as exciting or something. You're you're more into the crazy snapping yes serial killers. Well, when you're looking at organized crime, that's just planned. That's business. That's not exciting. Exactly. It's related <laughs> yeah. to business. It's just, it's business. just like, eh. Boy, when ladies. You, yeah, when you add in the emotion behind it, you yes. know, or the thought pro- or the evil planning, that mm-hmm. makes a good story. Well, there's a little evil planning in this one. On Monday, September 25th, uh, the night before he was scheduled to testi- testify before the Kefauver Committee. Mm-hmm. Kefauver, you've heard of that? Is that no. a thing? So, uh, this was a, a committee looking into organized crimes, trying to crack down right. on organized crime in the 50s. Uh, he was going to testify before this committee about his findings on organized crime in Chicago. Former police detective William J. Drury was murdered outside his home by hitmen. Mm-hmm. And so he was mm-hmm. murdered on off of Addison. So we used to live in Chicago years ago. Yes. Um, 
So to give you, and I'm going to give Amy context of where this happened, uh, by bars we used to go to. We were <laughs> we were in our early 20s, so we spent our time at bars and we did a lot of pub crawls. So he, his home was on Addison, yeah. off of Lincoln, between the Green Lady, where, yeah. where our friend Brandon Wilhelm drinks all the time, yeah. and the Brownstone. So Addison hit hit in between there. Oh, okay. So right off of Lincoln there is where he wow. was. Like right there, bars we've been to a million times. Mm-hmm. We've been past this. Okay. Um, that's where he was murdered. And according to the Chicago Tribune, the responding officers found William Drury slumped over the wheel of a new Cadillac. There were four holes in the windshield made by the shotgun that killed him. The hood was scarred by a forty-five caliber bullet. Whoa. Drury had no hmm. chance to open the glove compartment of the car where police found a regulation thirty-eight caliber police revolver mm-hmm. containing five cartridges, the Tribune reported. A gray fedora hat with, a sh- with shotgun pellet holes in the crown and a pair of yellowish gloves were on the seat. To me, that hmm. was very... That's the 1950s. That's the 50s, yeah, yeah. Nah, the gloves yeah. and the yeah, hat. Yeah, gangster, fedora. A few hours before the shooting, Drury and his attorney had been making arrangements for him to testify before the U.S. Senate Special Committee to investigate crime and interstate commerce, which I kind of mentioned. Uh, and later in the evening, an, a Chicago attorney, Marvin J. Boss, another investigator who claimed to have dirt on Chicago gambling operations, was also shot to death. Oh, um, hmm. that was more towards Lakeshore Drive, um, not not near the places where you and I used to. Yeah. Drink. OK. But so, yeah, organized crime. You know, this guy had discovered a lot of things, I, I guess, because there was probably a lot of corrupt cops and yes. things like that mm-hmm. that he was about to expose. And so they just. Yeah. She they took care of it. See, that's right. It just blows my <laughs> mind that this organized crime shooting happened. Right where you and I spent yep. s- plenty of drunken St. Patrick's days, you know, like yeah. wandering around. <clears throat> um, and I think that might. Oh no! One more thing I have for September 1950. September 29th was a Friday, and do you remember a couple episodes ago when I talked about the Hazel Scott show? I was very excited because she was an African American singer who had her yes, own show, and it was I only do. it was only 15 minutes. Well, it was canceled by the Dumont Television Network. Uh, one week after she had testified before Congress to deny that she was a <laughs> communist sympathizer. Oh, my God. Yeah. So we were all excited oh that a, an African-American woman had her own show uh, and then it already got canceled because of communism. And that brings I'm, us. How come I'm not surprised? Yeah. I know. Yeah, we're not surprised. Everything is just Well, and this you know theme. it had to do with racism, too. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. Not at all. Oh, yeah. right. nothing yeah, to do with Not yeah, at right. all. There's no racism then. <laughs> But, no. but that brings Jeez. us to the end of September of 1950 oh and the end of this episode. And happy birthday, Brenda. <laughs> <laughs> and, and thank you for being here on yes, American Timeline. Thank Time you Lines. so much. You gave us so oh. much. Uh, that's why it's cool it to have another fun. podcaster because they give you so much. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, that was fun. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. But the one thing I actually have to correct one thing. Oh, yes. Correct uh, anything. I have to correct one thing. It's not that I do not like. Uh, you know, true crime, the criminality of 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 the you know the murders. Okay. Yes. In fact, I do. I just like when they're they're they, they seem to follow the same thing. You just hit a guy. That's it. Yeah. That's not as exciting. Yeah, you just hit when you know yeah. you know like the Jimmy Hoffas. I'm totally into that. Yeah. yeah. That's, or like that for, is interesting. for or for example the the uh, for example, did you guys know that Woody Harrelson's father was a hitman? Yes. No. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yep. 
I've been watching. Oh, yeah, he... My one of my goals in the pandemic is to to binge all of Cheers, and I'm close to being done. Woody Harrelson's dad was a he killed a federal judge. Uh, yeah, what? <laughs> I yep. had no idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm totally into that. Oh, but yeah. the average hit, it's kind of like, oh yeah, I was a mom. I didn't know, you know that. Now I want to look at that. So I guess that's the element maybe of mob crime or things that could be interesting is finding connections to that. Like mm-hmm. finding finding famous people that are connected to the mob. That might be a well, fun Woody, thing. Well, Woody Harrelson, after he figured out his dad was in prison, he actually tried to get him out even though he pretty well did it. But you got to look up, guys, how his dad was busted. It was brilliant. Oh, I will definitely uh, look it I up. I think there's a dollop but, about it. Is there? Yeah. Podcast. But, but the funny thing podcast. I found is he spent $2 million, he said, and I'm quoting Woody here, beating my head against the wall. Yeah. Yeah. When he tried to get his dad out. Well, when you kill a federal judge, yeah, yeah. That's you might as well save battle. your money. Yeah, save your money. Wow. <laughs> and then you think about somebody like Woody Harrelson and actors and people become famous. Yeah. Like, there's so much of that. There's so many of them. It seems like that have something they're striving for. They don't have a father. Or they don't have this, and that's mm. that's made mm. them who they are. And you think, well, if your dad wasn't hadn't killed that judge and was in your life, maybe you would have just been like a a couch potato and he wouldn't have been yeah, on Cheers normal or dude. Yeah. But, Working at a hardware store. Well, that's the thing with Cheers. When they discovered him on Cheers, he auditioned and his name was already Woody. Mm-hmm. Like, they, that mm-hmm. character was already named. They didn't name it for him. Like, they already oh, really? had it named and he, hap- he happened to audition and they were like, shit, your name is the same. Was, oh, that's funny. And then he got it. So, kind oh, of Oh, really? Was it a coincidence? Yeah. yeah, it was a coincidence. Huh. Yeah. Funny thing. Wow. Cool. Well, thank. Well, that's more trivia. I feel like if we don't end this episode, it'll just be an endless conversation of trivia that we will all just kind of. Yes. It'll never end. Yeah, we better Uh, get out of here, Chuck Perry. But we better get out of here and let Dale through. That's right. Thank you, Brenda, for being here. Great job, and we'd love to have you back sometime. We'll keep listening, and then we'll keep bugging you. Uh, you, you bug me whenever you want. I'll be here. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Yeah, so listen to Horrifying History. This was episode 133. Uh, thanks for listening, yep. everyone. Thank you. Yep. All right. Good night. Make me some cookies, bitch. Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Bake me some cookies, bitch. <laughs>